Hello, hello. Hello. I'm Melanie Reef. And I'm Jessica Benoist-Young, and this is Best Line. Worst Line. Where we watch movies, TV, musicals, Woo! speeches, and skits, and choose and discuss our best and worst lines from each. Yes, you heard that correctly. Our first musical. Although, for a musical... Um, doesn't this have, like, the recorded longest scene without a song? Probably. Oh, I totally believe it. I mean, there's very, very little music in the musical that we're talking about. I mean, there's There's a music. lot. There's, like, a, a slightly less than typical amount of music, but it's still, yeah. like, a decent chunk of music. That's true. I wouldn't but say like, very, very little, but what I... But yeah, and actually my six-year-old like was in the room when I started this and it's a whole lot of music up front. Like it, mm-hmm. the, the beginning, the first 10 minutes is just kind of like three songs strung Solid together. Solid chunk of music, yeah. And he's like, well, how, how many songs are in this? Like, is it all music? Because he has seen musicals like that. Most today are like Yeah, that. there are a lot more like operatic type musicals where you know the phantom of the opera type thing where it's like or rent yeah where a lot of your dialogue gets put into the songs this is not that this is this is very dialogue heavy for a musical and of course the musical we are talking about with the longest scene without music is 1776 um, Jess, do you want to give a background on why we are talking about 1776 Oh, we're talking this week? about 1776 this week because I am obsessed with this movie. And I have been, I think, since I was like 13, maybe, is when I first saw it. That sounds right. 13. And I've watched it every 4th of July for like 25 years. <laughs> I have not seen this show until... Mm, summer of 2015, I want to say, and I can ask him for the exact date when my brother did it. He was in a Summerstock version. Oh, he should have gotten my brother on this one. Yeah. (laughs) He was in a Summerstock version of it up in upstate New York in Cortland, and he played, I want to say he was a senator from North Carolina. I don't remember which one, but I want to say he was North Carolina. Um, and it was excellent. Like, I remember really loving. It is a fantastically fun really show impacted to be live. by it. I mean, I think like there's a lot to be said about, and we'll get into this when we get more into the script. There's a lot to be said about the representation of the founding, especially like looking at today's current society and issues we're having with people who are, you know, being very traditionalist as far as the constitution goes. And I mean, these, these men who made this, who, who were at the, the, the um, declaration of independence signing um, and the constitutional conventions, they're all white men. They're all landover owners. A lot of them were slave owners, like not great. And there was a lot of people, were a lot of people left Mm -hmm. out. And I think one of the, it's really interesting to like, compare this show to a show like Hamilton where you have an updated view on an updated different telling of how the country came to be 
And so it's, it's interesting to watch the show because I think that's so impactful recognizing that they celebrate thing that the show does celebrate some people and in ways that I don't necessarily agree with. Like I don't necessarily agree with the portrayal of Thomas Jefferson in, I mean, I don't agree with the portrayal of Thomas Jefferson. I know Mm -hmm. Jess, Mm -hmm. you were saying that they were, uh, we were talking very briefly that they get to his like more like trapped artistic side in this. Like he was very quiet and like every other like right, historical right, right. representation I've heard of Thomas Jefferson is like he was very impish and like very out for himself and like like very and so this is not yeah. the portrayal of Thomas Jefferson yeah. I would I would support I like I think they they make him look too good um right but what they do with John Adams I think is great I mean John Adams is such a stellar character and so well written mm-hmm Mm-hmm. really love how they do Franklin, I think. And I think Rutledge is an incredibly impactful character because I hate him. I hate Rutledge so much. Because yeah. he's, I mean, that's... And Dickinson. And Dickinson. I I almost hate Dickinson more because he just stands for nothing. I mean, no, I hate Rutledge more because of the whole... I mean, Rutledge, Rutledge is pushing for slavery and in a, in like a way that is like incredibly, I mean, terrible and horrible and like maddening sickening all of those things but Mm -hmm. he also calls out the hypocrisy of the other and i think that to me was probably when i saw this when i saw this i think that to me was one of the most impactful parts of it was the calling out of the hypocrisy of of the whole push for independence well there's there are two things about it and let's let's just dive right in and get this out of the way that scene molasses to rum uh-huh. It's incredibly impactful. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. In fact, more delegates were actually, um, there are two things about this. So so let's jump ahead and say it of- comes down to like the, this is, yeah, this is the like last quarter of the movie. This kicks off like the end of the movie. And it's the big sticking point. So you go through this whole succession of things. It's nobody will vote. And some of them don't even want to debate. That's the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Then they get someone from Virginia. They get Richard Henry Lee. Which that's a great To song. go <laughs> back to Virginia and get a resolution that they support it and would like to call a vote. So then they debate. Then they're about to call a vote. Then Dickinson, John Dickinson from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania says it has to be unanimous. John Adams says it will never be unanimous. Then... John Hancock has the tie vote as the president of Congress to say that it does have to be unanimous, which makes then sense. John Adam. Then they tr- then they try to call it. Dickinson tries to call it because he knows it won't be unanimous at that moment. Mm-hmm. Then John Adams stalls them, says they need time to write what ends up being the Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence, and they take a vote on that. They vote for that. They get three weeks to form the Declaration Committee and write the Declaration of Independence. Then three weeks later, once it's written, they vote. So they go through the whole reading of it. They're making all these changes. And it's like the night before they've all decided, July 3rd or whatever, that they're going to vote. They're going to be done with all the revisions and they're going to vote. And Edward Rutledge from South Carolina reads this passage 
about slavery and says that no one in the South will sign the Declaration of Independence or vote for independence, American independence, unless it's removed. Okay, (laughs) so there's the basis of like everything that happens in this movie to get to this point. The other thing about that that passage is that actually the big clash of North versus South or even like the pro-independence and anti-independence group, it didn't really happen. There was widespread support for not going down that hole at all from delegations in the North and South. It kind of was like... We don't know because ultimately, like, there wasn't any record keeping. It was mostly secret. So everything that we know about what because it was treason, because it was treason, so so all this is is just you know a collection, and all we know is a collection of what they all said later. But it does sound like. I would assume there was debate about it because there was debate about every single little thing. Fishing rights, you know? But yeah, the, I think it was not the standoff and not the divisive thing that it's made to be in the movie. What I think about that song, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous song for such awful subject matter. It's one of the most beautiful songs in the show. But what, I, what it really is is Edward Rutledge trying to like both sides the whole topic of slavery. And that's wrong. But he has a point in it. And a point that is extremely relevant today. And it's not really the point that I think the movie was trying to make at all. Or it is, but it's a little more hidden and poetic. And what it is, is not just everyone benefits from this. It's that you need to acknowledge That Mm -hmm. you, even though you see yourself as an abolitionist, as if we're bringing it to, you know, modern relevance, if you see yourself as not racist, but you don't acknowledge that every aspect of this institution from the beginning, from its inception, has benefited you, the white person, then you are not what you think you are. Yeah. And that's why I think that song is so impactful. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's an incredibly impactful song. And, and, and we're still, we're dealing with that. And I don't think that's necessarily like a both sidesing type thing, which I believe was the character's intent was to say, you're just as bad as me. It's not, you're but just no. as bad as me. It's, you're not quite what you think you are if you're not willing to see the whole picture. Right. And, and I think a you're lot right. of people I think that can't is what... handle that whole picture. They can't, even though there is, there, there's so much access to just getting the scope of the social and economic benefits. Right. So no, I think what Rutledge, I think that song is so impactful because it calls out the hypocrisy. And I think that's so, so true today too, of like, you see people saying one thing and then doing another. And I think that's what the song really does is saying like, I mean, I still can't stand Rutledge. I think that his arguments about slavery are abhorrent. That's, I think the point that the movie was trying to make too. And that a lot of people are complicit. And yeah, as you yeah. said, like people need to, people need to own that and then work to it. Was that, was that, you had mentioned that your, your worst line was something that just didn't happen. Is that, 
what you were talking about. Yeah, or is that something well, different? the whole scene leading up to that is them, you know, having this argument. And it goes something like he says something about John Adams calls the black slaves Americans. And he mm-hmm. says, oh, now our black slaves are American. And he says, yes, they are people and they are here if there are any other qualifications necessary to be an American, I haven't heard of them. And Rutledge says, they are here, yes, but they are not people. They are property. They say, I don't like that. I mean, but clearly that's the mindset. But then then they get into this whole thing. Or or then Jefferson says, "They, they are not property. They are people being treated as property. And he says, well... He says something along the lines of, like, how can you condemn the practice when you yourself, to Jefferson, are a practitioner? Are a practitioner. And Jefferson says, in the movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have already resolved to release my slaves. Yep, that to was my me, line, too. That is the biggest whitewash yep. that occurs in this otherwise, I, I don't want to say, like, accurate a movie that strives to paint the most accurate picture of what went on as it can to the point that a lot of the lines the lyrics the letters that are read out loud in this movie are from these men's journals right you know or real letters or real like documents and things because that's like we were saying, it was secret. It was treason. So we have maybe not the most historically accurate portrayal of the passage of time or how certain things went down in the actual building itself, but we have a lot of pretty accurate representation of what these men were thinking and how they viewed this particular situation. And that is just, that is not true at all. And it did not happen. And he actually wrote quite a bit during this whole time period, things that are exactly the opposite, right? you know, of this whole, of what he said in this whole conversation. He has, you know, in letters and journals and stuff and things that he published said almost the opposite of the things that he says in this conversation that he has with Rutledge about the inferiority of the of uh, the African race and things like that. And so I just thought, you know, there is some degree of making everything cute and sparkly and stage ready and that type of thing. And like we were talking before, you know, the representations of these characters and specifically Jefferson, like we just kind of have to for a Broadway musical and then a movie that's already two hours and 45 minutes long (laughs) and has to move at a pace, right? It has to move at a certain pace and they pack a lot in. It's not like this movie ever lulls from, I mean, I think there are a couple lulls, but they're just songs and scenes I don't particularly like uh, as much as the others. But like, I don't think it stops. The pacing is boom, 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 the whole way through. We don't have time for these characters to to evolve, to change all that much. They have to be who they are, and they have to be a little bit of a caricature of what we knew about them. We have to pick who they are, and then they have to be that. So, yeah, I, I, I and, and I don't think that the, the movie 
the show, you know, the musical itself even tries to tiptoe around the big things that do often get just ignored when when we have a little bit more of a whitewashed musical, whitewashed movie, whitewashed characters, right? So it's weird to me that they tackle this subject, but then choose to give Jefferson this big, big pass. Yeah, that's, I would say, I would disagree with that because I think that what they do with Jefferson is, like, pretty egregious. Like, I mean, I know they're trying to make a point with the, like, the Declaration of Independence, but I think one of the biggest disservices that, like, at least how I was taught American history is, like, that the Founding Fathers, and I mean, we're seeing this now with people defense, like defending the Constitution and, like, oh, well, this wasn't in the Constitution. Like, one of the biggest issues, I think, is this, like, oh, the Founding Fathers were so... We, we can't argue with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison right. and and George Washington. And, like, it's paint... The show paints the most annoying character as John Adams. When right. John Adams was, like, the most, like... I mean, yeah, he was... Yeah annoying because he was like the instigator he was the one who was like he was i mean we see that though today though the people who are most progressive are are painted as the most and so there's a lot of parallels here and i think that's like the show is not trying to vilify john adams but no john adams is clearly the protagonist but like right the way that they treat thomas jefferson my worst line was the same because like that's not the thomas jefferson that actually existed and right. we can't keep making him a demigod mm-hmm and saying that he did nothing wrong. And that's why I think his portrayal in Hamilton, which I know you haven't seen, mm-hmm. is like so fascinating because they they play up that oh, you do not like Thomas Jefferson by the yeah. end of that show. Well, and, and like the- everything else I've read and like you don't like Tom- you shouldn't like Thomas Jefferson. No. Yes, he wrote this amazing document, but you shouldn't like Thomas Jefferson. And actually, me shouldn't is strong. And actually, yeah, and they do, I mean, they have to simplify this. They have to simplify it down, like like I was saying, like down to the essence of mm-hmm. of what we can put on a stage. But actually, right. the the committee themselves were, were much more involved than is portrayed. You know, the, one of my favorite songs in a musical ever is them deciding who's going to write it. And them, I know, it's and so good. And all of them saying, like, they don't want to do it. And John Adams knowing the whole time that he wants Jefferson to write it. But it really is kind of a conglomeration of documents that already existed that were written by other people and Jefferson himself, like Mm -hmm. things and musings and notes he had already written, with a lot of help from Benjamin Franklin and a lot of revisions from John Adams and the other um, two members of the committee. So mm-hmm. it was a lot more collaborative and a lot less like this, you know, spring of political and philosophical genius coming from his brain and his brain alone. Right. But what I do like about this movie and what what I think they sh- what they do show is or what I think they attempt to show is that there and I agree with you there is this sort of idea that like politics were this pure ideological thing and what they intended and what they wanted was what we got mm-hmm. and that they were able to accomplish these things with this 
yeah, with this like purity, this almost untouchable, yeah, I, I don't even know the word, but that, but that, but what was the end result, like the Declaration of Independence, like the Constitution, like our entire government itself, that there was no, there's no argument, there's no other side. This is exactly mm-hmm. what they framed up and wanted. You can't tear that house down. No, this is the, that's exactly what this movie shows is right. that from the very beginning, this is all just a bunch of political maneuvering and compromise. Yep. And it it's still is. It still is. Speaking, we were, we were joked about yeah. choosing a line that was like the <laughs> most relevant, re- relevant, still, yeah. still politically relevant. And I think potentially it, it was, it was up there as potentially my best line, but also the most politically relevant John Adams right off the gate mm-hmm. says, I have come to the conclusion yep. that one useless man is called a disgrace, that two are called a law firm, and that three or more become a Congress. And I yep. just cackled yep. That's because so- it is it is such a good line. It, it sets so up. I can't. I don't necessarily know if I would say it's my best line. I think it's my best. If it is line from John Adams. Okay, I think it. I would say I think it's my best line from John Adams. Oh, there are so many good ones though from John Adams. Yeah, but I think. If we're if we're going for the category of what is the most there there were plenty that I thought yes. were also very relevant in politics today. Oh, yeah. But my God, that one that it's one so really good. really is really struck a chord because that's what we find. We we have found mm-hmm. we have a Congress. <laughs> yes, and I did do some digging because I thought that line was something that he had actually written, and it's not. Ah, oh, that's unfortunate. I know, <laughs> but it's a great line. It is a fantastic line. Did you ever watch the HBO question mark miniseries John Adams with Laura Linney and Paul Giamatti? I haven't, but it's on my list. I need to rewatch it. At this point, it's like 15 years old or so. <laughs> um, and I watched it like when it aired. Okay. So it's been a while since I've watched it. But we, we were talking about like Thomas Jefferson and political maneuvering and yeah he's he is they were very good friends in real life to the point that they were both talking about each other when they died like 13 hours apart on the same day like yeah at least thomas jefferson's alive or like yeah at least jefferson survives adams survives i think is what jefferson said but actually john adams had died a few hours earlier and he didn't know yeah so they were Mm -hmm. like thinking about each other on july 4th died on july 4th yeah they were thinking about each other and they died more or less together on what is probably like the most significant day or the day that represents their you know their bonding their drama bonding (laughs) I don't know but they had so but Jefferson was like in that show in that series which I would argue would be more historically accurate just because we knew more Mm -hmm. and it is based on David McCullough's book on John Adams I believe which is a non-fiction book (laughs) yes so he's a scheming Dickhead. Oh, completely. Jefferson yeah, is scheming Jefferson is a non-stop. He does not care who he backstabs, even yep. like, you know, his supposed best friend, John Adams. He does not care. 
And then he'll just, like, try to charm him to his face and be like, oh, well... (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's what I did. That's Hamilton. Like, oh that's, my god! That's how he's portrayed in Hamilton. Uh-huh. Is and I is and you, a scheming backstabber. Yeah. And it it's you can't have that in this move, movie or this musical. You can't have that in this representation. No, it really makes the song he plays the violin a lot less charming. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that never like, happened either. She didn't. Uh, Oh, she no. didn't come to visit. They, they spend he, so much time talking about there's, Thomas Jefferson's sexual virility, and I mean, he did. I mean, he was having sex, but well, yeah, but her. like they spend so much. Well, exactly, not with her. Um, they were. They spend so much time talking about their marriage, and like I wrote down one of the lyrics in one of the later. Oh, with a song that you were saying that they're they get everybody to, or he's trying to convince. Jefferson to write yes. the Declaration of Independence and John Adams says, Mr. Jefferson, dear Mr. Jefferson, I'm only 41. I still I have still my have virility, my virility. <laughs> and I can romp through Cupid's Grove with great agility, but life is more than sexual combustibility. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's so such a funny line. And like, speaking of a relationship that's well portrayed though, like I really do like how the show portrays, um, I love Abigail it. Adams and John Adams. Yes. So that is a real thing. I was mm-hmm. looking, Those are all from their letters, right? Uh-huh. And they wrote, well, we don't know how many, but surviving, because he made sure that they kept all of them. He did not want them read while he was in the public eye, but mm-hmm. he wanted them saved for posterity. 1,160 letters Whoa. that we know of that, that survived. So probably more that got lost or damaged or whatever. That's insane. Whoa. That is that's wild. Like maybe the most romantic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that, that's I incredibly mean, romantic. Yeah, they were just thinking about each other nonstop, and I love that. Yeah, and and that's why we mentioned maybe like doing a category where we said like our best lyric mm-hmm. and. I had a really hard time with this because, uh, and I think this is something that we've mentioned too, like if we ever do a musical, well, do we have a separate category for lyrics? Are lyrics game for the best line? Yes. Ultimately, I think it was really hard to extract a lyric from a song and I say like that was the best thing. And maybe that's not a problem all the time and maybe that's not a problem for this particular movie, but for this particular set of songs, for me, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. But what I ultimately decided was, after I sat and thought about, you know, the movie all night and all morning, was, um, till then, I am as I ever was yours. Which is how they end their letters or their songs when they're talking to each other. I don't think that was like a thing that they always did it seemed actually like from a lot of the letters that I read that they did different ones every time so I would assume that maybe that was one that that they did once or twice and the people who wrote the script and the lyrics liked it (laughs) but I think that Mm -hmm. it just really so well encapsulates their mutual respect and affection for each other and yeah. this whole, the whole very historically accurate concept 
of them constantly talking to each other, even though they were 300 miles apart or more for a large portion of his political career. And I think it's adorable. Well, and letters are like sort of dead and that makes me sad. They kind of made a like slight comeback in the early days of the pandemic. I wrote a few of them. I also had trouble choosing a best lyric because I don't know. I got caught in so many different things. It's like, well, which song do I like the best? And like, Oh, which song sticks that. with me the best? <laughs> and this, well, the song that sticks with me the most is he plays the violin mm-hmm. or molasses to rum, but I didn't really want to choose a lyric from molasses to rum, even though I think like it's incredibly impactful. I just, I didn't want to spend more time on that than I thought, thought we needed to. See, that's kind of what I mean, though. Like, on the whole, I think the song is very impactful, very haunting. It lingers. But, like, I can't take a single part out of it and be like, this represents the song. Right. You know, for me, personally, that was the problem. Because I, I do, you know, like, that song is incredible. It is, it is and, a... Like, performed live, you just are, like, shivers. Yeah, it is quite a song. I think, for me, the best lyric... Yeah, I had trouble with it too. Yeah, maybe maybe best lyric. I'm looking at what I wrote down now because I had like several that I like wrote, but I don't think I actually chose a best one um, now that I'm looking at him. I mean, I think there would be argument to the... <laughs> I think I'm just going to choose it. I'm going to choose what I said about when John Adams is trying to convince Jefferson that he should write it just because I thought that line was funny because it was like... A, I think that song is great. And I just like the, I think that is a fun, fun little lyric. And I just, the, I think really what, why that lyric gets, gets best lyric for me is with great agility lines with sexual combustibility. And that is just fantastic. It is, it is a fantastic construction of a clever use of rhyming. Um, So that is going to be my best lyric. My, my runner up, my favorite, probably my, if we talk about like what sticks to us, not sticks with us, not necessarily like in a, in a impactful way, but just what I think of and what sticks in my head all the time is the end of that song. And he says, Jefferson sings, Mr. Adams, you are driving me to homicide. And then when they are, when he and John Adams storm out, the other three sing, we may see murder yet. And the way, like, just the notes and the way they deliver it. (laughs) And I just love it. It cracks me up. Like, that whole song is so clever and so hilarious. But I've always loved the um, We May See Murder Yet. (laughs) I also Um, really love the cleverness. I think this song is kind of annoying, but I love the cleverness of the use of Lee in the... (laughs) That's cute. The Richard Lee song. I love uh, socially, politically. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's well done. I think the song is kind of annoying. I think <laughs> so Lee is kind funny. of annoying. But um, but it's well done. And I mean, in the first song, too, is... I mean, the opening number, I think, is is very, very impactful. Yeah. And you, you have a clear 
sense of who John Adams is in this show. Oh, that was another lyric that I really enjoyed. I do believe you laid a curse on North America, a curse that we now rehearse here in Philadelphia, a second flood, a simple famine, plagues of locusts everywhere, a cataclysmic earthquake, I accept with some despair. But, but no, no, you sent us a you Congress. Sent us Congress. Good God, Good God sir, was, was that, that fair? fair. <laughs> that's I would say that's another that that actually right. might be that actually might be my my best lyric. I think it's it's a well done lyric. So I I do really love the portrayal of Ben Franklin in this show. Yes, yes, yes. I love Ben Franklin. Actually, most of the lines that I ended up writing down were Benjamin Franklin, and I know that at least half of the ones I wrote down was shit he actually said or wrote. Mm-hmm. Like he was a very very funny clever witty man um yeah we we you kind of touched on this but there is um and i've never really noticed it because i've noticed it you know peripherally but in analyzing the movie there's like a sex interlude in this Mm -hmm. movie there is a half hour chunk that kind of kicks off with with uh what you were talking about when Jefferson and Adams are sort of butting heads about whether or not Jefferson gets to go home and and be with his wife, which he did want to go home um, right as all this was Was happening. Was it to be with his wife, though? Yes, but not to be with her. She had had a miscarriage. She had had, like, some serious complications from gestational diabetes and had a miscarriage, and she was like... You know, I don't know if she just blood loss or infection or whatever, but there was like a period of time where they weren't sure if she was going to make it or not. And so he was trying to get home to be to be with her, (laughs) Um, but not be with her like is portrayed in the movie. And there is still, I guess, some speculation as to whether or not he did get a chance to make it Mm. home at some point in this uh, three week period where he was working on the declaration. She did survive that that particular illness. Right. But yeah, we kind of go into this whole thing where they're, they're just talking about sex, like, for a solid 30 minutes of the movie. Yes. We go into the song where Abigail, or we go into them meeting Martha. He, she, he plays the violin. Uh-huh. And then, well, there's no he plays the violin yet. They just, she just shows oh, up. And right. they kind of leave. And- and uh-huh. but then he's like falls asleep on the steps, imagining that he's talking to Abigail, and that whole song is like very, very mm-hmm. sexual, very uh, romantic. And then they wake up, and Benjamin Franklin comes back, and John Adams has just slept there all night <laughs> on the steps. Weird. And then they meet. Then they meet Martha, and she speaks to them, and then he plays the violin. He plays the violin. And then this is one of the funniest lines to me. (laughs) They're, like, trying to figure out what to do with the rest of the day because Thomas takes Martha back to bed at, you know, whatever time, 9 o'clock in the morning it is or whatever. And John Adams invites Benjamin Franklin to brunch, lunch, whatever. Yeah. And he says, oh, well, I have a rendezvous. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin says, I have a rendezvous. I would invite you, but talking makes her nervous. <laughs> and I <laughs> don't know why this line has always cracked me up. I guess ever since you 
learn certain parts about American history and you realize that Benjamin Franklin was quite fond of prostitutes. And so, you know, I don't know. I just think that's, you know, I don't know. It just has always cracked yeah. me up. Talking makes her nervous. And I can just picture Benjamin Franklin having like this standing lunch date with a woman who doesn't let him talk. <laughs> it's really, it's interesting. Like, like I hadn't put it together, but it's the whole, it's like 30 minute chunk because like we're, you, we, you were just saying that the movie doesn't really like they move at such a pace and they put such like things in there. That's essential to the Congress part of it. Right. And it's like, this is not at no. all. Like if we wanted to be a little bit more historically accurate about some things in Congress, like we did not need this section. No, we but didn't it also, I think, I think it is also a mark of like, maybe where we were, maybe we did because like, I think a whole show, a whole musical of just the like, Congress part would be boring as all hell. So maybe right. we did need it, but like, it also like, it's a very lengthy section for like yeah. one joke. Basically, it's like one one bit replayed, replayed, replayed. Maybe we could have used that to be a little bit more accurate. Who knows? <laughs> I think I I yeah I wrote down a lot of Franklin's lines as the best lines. I think some of them I thought were funny. Some of them I thought were. Uh, one of Franklin's lines in that section, actually, I thought was very funny. It was not my best line, but he said, perhaps I'm the one who should have the de- should have written the declaration mm-hmm. after all. At my age, there's little doubt that the pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah. And my so goodness, good. that made me giggle. So good. But like, I think one of the most, the most interesting lines is when, going back to when they're debating with Rutledge. What is it you want, Rutledge? Remove the offending passage from your declaration. If we did that, we would be guilty of what we ourselves are rebelling against. Nevertheless, remove it, or South Carolina will bury, now and forever, your dream of independence. John, I beg you, consider what you're doing. Mark me, Franklin. If we give in on this issue, posterity will never forgive us. That's probably true, but we won't hear a thing. We'll be long gone. Besides, what will posterity think we were? Demigods? We're men, no more, no less, trying to get a nation started against greater odds than a more generous God would have allowed. First things first, John. Independence, America. If we don't secure that what difference will the rest make adam says mark me franklin if we give on this issue posterity will never forgive us and franklin says that's probably true but we won't hear a thing john will be long gone and like this it makes me so mad because it's like franklin who has been like franklin was such an anti-slavery advocate then has this line that's like and besides, what will posterity think we were? Demigods? Yeah. We're men, no more, no less, trying to get a nation started against greater odds than a more generous God would have allowed. John, first things first, independence, America. For if we don't secure that, what difference will the rest make? And there's so much in that line that I think is so... Well, A, morally, a lot of that makes me mad. Because right, it's like, yeah. There's the, like, it should have been independence for every person Mm -hmm. person like and everybody 
living human being, black, white, male, female, non-binary, trans, whoever, is a person that should have been included in that. Mm-hmm. But the part of that that I think is really interesting and applicable for today is the, and besides, what will posterity think we were? Demigods. We're men, no more, no mm-hmm. less. And I think that's, to me, that really struck a chord because where we, as I said, we see it in how history is taught. We saw mm-hmm. we see it in how um, people, the Supreme Court is treating the Constitution now as it was yeah. written by these like all-seeing demigods who yeah. knew what the future was going to bring. And that's not who they were. That's not what they were trying to do. Right. They were trying to start a country. Uh-huh. And they never intended it to, I mean, I can't speak for intent, but like we can't base our current reality on what men in the 1700s wrote. Right. White men who were landowners, they, that was a very, 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 very small part of the population that is not representative. And so I think that line, I would say, even though there are aspects of it that I think are truly problematic from a moral aspect, I think that, like, what are they going to say as demigods were men, no more, no less, is probably what I would say is one of the best lines Mm -hmm. in the show because it really encapsulates so much of the conflict we see in American history then and in American history now. With that line, I have one more that kind of goes with it that is a Wilson line, James Wilson, when Dickinson is trying to get Wilson to vote no, Mm -hmm. which would, Pennsylvania would then sink the Declaration of Independence. And so, yes, says, this is the, the final vote for independence. Mm-hmm. It comes down, or Pennsylvania asks, Benjamin Franklin asks for more time. So Pennsylvania is last. And this whole thing mm-hmm. in the movie, we're supposed to believe this whole thing is completely engineered by Franklin. That mm-hmm. he knows it's going to go in this order, and he is setting this up so it'll go this way. So yeah. he, they come back to Pennsylvania at the end. Everyone else has voted yes, except New York, which abstains courteously. Courteously. Mr. Secretary, New York abstains courteously. Mr. Morris. What in hell goes on in New York? So it's down to Pennsylvania. He says, Pennsylvania basically says we're a split delegation. We don't agree. You need to poll us, which means each delegate gets their own vote. So they go in, I don't know if they go in alphabetical order. No, they go Franklin. Franklin says yes. Dickinson. Dickinson says no. Then they come to Judge Wilson. Who is a judge. Who has been Dickinson's sidekick the the whole whole time. In so far as trying to second every single motion that Dickinson makes, even though he's from the same state. (laughs) He can't do that. And so, yes, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so basically, finally, it comes down to it. And because really, John, James Wilson doesn't want notoriety. Uh He doesn't want anything. He's like, that's why he's in Dickinson's shadow. He doesn't want to be like forefront. And so when it comes down to the vote, Dickinson asks him something like, is this how you want to be remembered? And Wilson says like, not necessarily. If I go with them, I'll only be one of do- among dozens. No one will e- ever remember the name James Wilson. But if I vote with you, I'll be the man who prevented American independence. I'm sorry, John. I just didn't bargain for that. Mm-hmm. And I thought 
that is a really interesting, I mean, I, I don't think that's my best line, but I think that is a really interesting statement as to motivation. So I know that by the time that like we put this out um, for Independence Day, this will be, you know, a couple, <laughs> what's going on now will be a couple weeks old and people might not even be thinking about it anymore. But on the day that we watched this, <laughs> or that, yeah, we both watched on the same day. There's all this stuff going on right now about the January 6th committee. Mm -hmm. And on this particular day, when I watched it, everyone was very fixated on Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. And I just saw a lot of like vague thematic similarities between that, this situation that like, there is this sort of debate between whether or not what Mike Pence did was heroic slash courageous slash good and whether or not what he did was cowardice or whatever like that he should have said something before now he should have said something before now but also this is information that has been out before now i read an entire book Mm -hmm. about the i mean if you read peril by bob woodward and uh robert costa like there's a huge part of this. And so essentially like there was all this pressure put on him to, to go in there on January 6th and by himself overturn the election. And Mm -hmm. there's this whole thing, like the, everybody's talking about the Dan quit that he called Dan Quayle and asked for Dan Quayle's advice. My understanding of, of his intent in that was that he was, trying to build an argument as to why he couldn't do it. But then there's like Mm -hmm. this whole interpretation because he talked to a lot of people. He talked to like lawyers and people in constitutional law and any former vice president he could speak to on the phone. Right. And, and my interpretation, I guess would be the perspective that I think was put forward by um, that book was very much like he was trying to put together his argument to go to Trump and say, I can't do it. All of these very smart and accomplished and experienced people say that I can't and they agree with me, which is essentially what I think he did. Yeah. But I do see this whole, this like, he wanted to just go in, do the normal thing and not have this be a fucking thing, like the thing that it became. He was not looking to do the drastic rebellion that Trump wanted him to do. He was not looking to become this person of notoriety. And I think that's very, you know, and that on that day worked to some benefit for keeping democracies on life support for a couple more years. That he was just kind of like, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I'm just going to go do what every vice president before me has done. I mean, I think I don't give Mike Pence much credit for no. anything. <laughs> That's about, but I mean, I mean, we're saying like he did a thing did that benefited bare, us. That, that Bare minimum. That peripherally benefited democracy because he was, at the end of the day, afraid. He yeah. had right to be afraid. And then he had personal reasons of like how he would be viewed by the world that he was afraid of that were you know a bit more cowardly so it's not that it came from like this great 
strength of character, but it ha- it came. It happened. Like Benjamin yeah. Franklin says, it was part improvise, part compromise. There you go. You know, <laughs> it was just kind of like, I, I don't want to be that, the name associated with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, I just thought in light of current events and just the world in general, I thought it was just really interesting. I mean, it's so much, there's so many parallels in this. Jess, what were your best lines? Oh God. There's so many. One of the lines that has always stuck out to me, and this is, a, this is only in the director's cut. And so we'll, we'll have a little bit of trivia about why the director's cut even exists. But the director's mm. cut did not exist for viewing until 2002. Okay. In the director's cut, there are a few more scenes. So you probably have never seen anything but the director's cut. I have never seen anything but the okay. director's cut. You're correct. So there is a full song mm-hmm. that was cut. From the original theatrical version. Do you know why? Have I told you before? I'm sure I've told you before, but you might not remember because usually we were usually we were watching this online together, drinking (laughs) late at night. So we probably (laughs) yeah. No, I don't remember. Okay, so Richard Nixon. There you go. That was not the answer I expected. In short, this song. Like I'll we'll explain the story. So, so this show was written by a teacher, a teacher, mm-hmm. a music teacher, and then the or the lyrics, and then like a basis for the script. Then the producer hired two more people to come help clean things up and like expand the script. And they really decided, the producer and one of the writers really decided, even though this was not the original intent of the the man who wrote the original script and songs, that they wanted to make it political. I mean, it's political, but they wanted to make like thematic political statements for the current, at the time, mm-hmm. current political situation, which would have been 19... 19- late 1960s, Vietnam, basically. Vietnam, economic issues. Yeah. We're starting to really see the the effects of major economic inequalities caused by inflation, mm-hmm. corporate interests inserting themselves into one of the two political parties. <laughs> and that party is finally in power with Richard Nixon. Um, there was a... a a large framework of of the Republican corruption that's still going on today, like we were just talking about, was was brought in with Nixon. You see a lot of his administration sort of jump ship during the Watergate scandal and come back for Reagan and really cement this their economic bullshit, I'll just say, <laughs> during the Reagan era. But anyway, so so they're trying to make a lot of statements in in whatever way they can using like in the confines of 1776. Mm-hmm. So as part of like a July 4th celebration, the cast was invited to do the whole show at the White House. Okay. The White House staff in in 1969, I believe. The White House staff sent a letter to the producers and 
the cast and were like, please don't do these three songs. And it was um, Cool, Cool, Considerate Men, Mm -hmm. Mama Look Sharp, which Cool, Cool, Considerate Men is all about the friggin' economic hierarchy and conservatism being tied to an an economic hierarchy and inequality. Yeah, I wrote down a lyric from that one, too. And Mama Look Sharp, all about Vietnam. And now I can't remember the third one. What was the third one? Oh, Molasses to Rum. Oh, yeah. Uh, Obviously. So they wanted the the show to be done without those three songs. And the cast said, nope, we're just going to do the whole thing. So they did the whole thing. No ruffled feathers, no scandal or anything like that. Right. Flash forward three years, Richard Nixon hears mm-hmm. Nick filmed a movie and it's going to release. And he basically, this is the story, that he basically called up Jack Warner at Warner Brothers and says, I really enjoyed that musical when they came, but you can't put Cool Considerate Men in that movie. You can't release it with that song because it." Because he felt that it was so accurately vilifying of the current Republican uh, Party or the current conservative party's economic stance. And so... I mean, it still is. Yeah, it still is. So I mean, a line in the song is literally... They stop in the middle of the song and they start talking. Dickinson's talking to Hancock. Mr. Hancock, you're a man of property. One of us. Why don't you join us in our minuet? Why do you persist in dancing with John Adams? Good Lord, sir, you don't even like him. That is true. He annoys me quite a lot. But still, I'd rather trot to Mr. Adams' new gabot. Why? For personal glory? For a place in history? Be careful, sir. History will brand him and his followers as traitors. Traitors, Mr. Dickinson? To what? The British crown? Or the British half-crown? Fortunately, there are not enough men of property in America to dictate policy. Perhaps not. But don't forget that most men with nothing would rather protect the possibility of becoming rich than face the reality of being poor. Most men with nothing would rather protect the possibility of becoming rich than face the reality of being poor. And that has been the line... Ever since I saw the director's yeah. cut, that has been the line that has stuck with me from this movie the most. That I think about well, the most often as a reflection of, like, how are we where we are? Why is there a following for this whole ideology that where we're just letting rich people get away with whatever the hell they want? It's, it's in so indicative of... As exactly what our economic status is because it, that that line is so it, it's really interesting because I think we often fall in the trap I often fall in the trap of being like oh it's so bad it's gotten so worse it's gotten so worse and like things are globally things have actually gotten better in a lot of ways like if you look at some of the but it's also one of those things of like this is a this has been a theme this isn't anything new and it just is right. another like renewed fight as to why what we're actually seeing now though this is becoming a very political episode is, <laughs> yeah like, well making, we knew it would be <laughs> yeah people making much more inroads i mean maybe not more but like you have a few more voices at the table with different 
perspectives. You have the AOCs, you have the Elizabeth Warrens, you have people making a little bit of a stink to try to push the, to try to push it further. But like that line really encapsulates the mythology of the American dream so well and why you see so, so, so many like poor white people, especially voting against their yeah. interests, voting oh, for yeah. higher taxes yeah, for yeah, them, yeah. voting down healthcare for them, like because of that exact line. Exactly. I am going to pivot us really quick. Do you have more best lines? Because I have a pivot that I want to get to. I really, really enjoy what happens right after that song. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to say that and then you can pivot. But I just love... I, I have a lot of other best lines. I think we've covered a lot of them. I could talk about every single line I love in this movie for another hour, but we're not going to do that. But they sing this whole song, this whole song praising basically 19, you know, 1960s and 1970s uh, elite elitism, let's just say. Yeah. Uh, in the guise of the head of the anti-independence group in the Congress. And they're talking Mm -hmm. about how everyone will always follow the white men with the property and the money and all this stuff and how, and basically what we just said, people are always going to protect that interest because that's what they would want if they were in that position. They want that protection there for those people in case they become one of those people. That's how they'd want it to be. And I don't know, it gets through the whole song and the clerk, I guess he's the clerk. He doesn't really write anything down. He's just kind of an errand boy, watches them all ride off in their fancy carriages laughing about poor people, basically, and people who want independence. And he says, how'd you like to try and borrow a dollar from one of them? And I just think that is so funny and very relevant. Like, because that's kind of what's going on. I mean, if you boil it down, there's hundreds of millions of us. And you don't want to take it globally. There are billions of us just trying to borrow a dollar from 1% of this world. Just begging to borrow a dollar so that we can just live. (laughs) Yep. And it is delivered very, very the comedy of that delivery i'll just say if you haven't seen this movie it's very well great there's there's a lot of comedy in it (laughs) yes it is very funny and i wrote down very few of the funny lines um i did the same thing that we always think we're not gonna do and i'm like this is one of my favorite movies i'm gonna write down all this stuff because i'm gonna like want to say all these things i didn't really this is not the most i've written down um Hmm. it was quite a bit but it wasn't a lot. It wasn't as much as I thought. I just, there was yeah. a long period where I just got sucked in again, even though I've seen this movie mm-hmm. probably 70 times. I think I went into it with a very specific expectation of what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think that like helped me look at it. So the way I was going to pivot us is in the like Hamilton vein of like people like adapting, well, Hamilton's a new musical, but it it casts and re retells doesn't re I think mean, I guess retells history in a way that is more inclusive and draws mm-hmm. some of the attention to the problems of the nation's founding and who founded it. But in that same vein, there is a revival coming to Broadway of 1776. Yes. Just mm-hmm. do you know it? Do you know much about this revival? Because oh. I have been fascinated with it since I saw it since I saw it announced. 
Well, I know that the announcement was made years ago, and then they couldn't really do, like it was supposed to be a pre-pandemic thing. Yeah, and, and so they're at their, but it's all performing now. Women, it's all women, trans, non-binary trans, cast, and uh, different races. So you have people who are white, black, Asian, as you said, trans, non-binary women. It's all women, trans, non-binary. Um, because I mean, there are very few female roles in this show. There's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, two. Martha, Martha Washington, or not Martha Washington, Martha Jefferson, and uh, Abigail Adams. But um, and somebody, the uh, an ATA alum is in the Broadway. Really, production. I didn't know that. Mehari. Okay. Okay. All right. She's playing uh, Charles Thompson. So that's pretty exciting, but that is really cool. it's, I was reading a bit on the show and on, in one of the like deadline press releases, one of the, uh, Diane Paulus, who's choreographing and co-directing with Jeffrey Page said, um, Jeffrey and I are fascinated by the idea that history isn't clear or linear, that history isn't the clear or linear history we read in our textbooks, but instead a predicament that we must grapple with in order to understand our past so that we can move forward together. And then said Paige, as I've worked with Diane, we've explored the unsaid, unspoken, and unwritten history. And as a result, I found myself inside an important piece of art inside of American history. And I've learned something about both. And I think that's so interesting to see because one of my biggest critiques about 1776 is that it does bypass a lot of the complexities, particularly with Thomas right. Jefferson. It includes a lot of them for other people, but with Thomas Jefferson, it does not really do that. And so I'm so excited to see how this show is reimagined. And I know it's had some pretty big, pretty big audience members um, right now. I, I know Katanji Brown Jackson saw it. Uh -huh. And um, I know that Elizabeth Warren saw it as well. Um, and so I'm really excited to see how this revival progresses. I'd love to get a chance to see the revival because I think it yeah. will breathe new life and a different, a different telling. I mean, I think this, the show is a very, very well-written show, mm -hmm. but in context of where we are in today's day and age in 2022, it should be not just white men doing this show. It should be a cast that is, I, I'm excited to see this story. Right. Well, all of that. And on a more, like, selfish, personal note, I would want to play John Adams. Like, oh, heck yes. <laughs> these that are some of the, like, these are some of the, in my opinion, like, coolest roles that you could play. Who wouldn't want to play Ben Franklin and just go up there yeah. and be, you know, a witty goofball? Who wouldn't want to play John Adams and go up there and sing these incredible songs and just yell at everyone mm -hmm. like these are great characters and as yes you know and then I think you and I growing up being entrenched in musical theater and looking at some of the male roles that are just like awesome 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 and like in our heads thinking well but I won't get to play that role right well sure you can yeah fine do it. I mean, it's like the gender flipped company that just won the Tony. Like mm -hmm. I didn't love company before and now I love it because I see myself in that show now. So I'm really excited to listen to, to watch some videos of the revival and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how this goes. 
but I'm glad we revisited this. Yeah. One more line. Yes. That I did want to say. I We didn't end up, I, I know we kind of said we were going to do like best from each of them. I didn't really come up with. I didn't a have a best, best Jefferson, Jefferson line. So, yeah. But, and then we, I think we did pick a best Adams. A lot of Benjamin Franklin's lines, because mm-hmm. he was so prolific in like writing things down in a really informal way. Like he had, even before he was in Congress, he had decades of like Mm -hmm. journals and publications and things where, and some of them were just satire and some of them were just, you know, compilations of his thoughts and philosophies and stuff. So like a lot of Benjamin Franklin's really good lines in this movie are things that he really said. There is a line that I believe is reported to be actually said and it comes from John Hancock and it's not the one you think I think everybody knows why'd you sign it so big so that fat George can see it without his glasses on great yes apparently he said that but apparently he also said this and I think this is like an extremely poetic line and kind of like ties into what you said about this idea that like history is not just a set of facts and events that happened in the past. It is also something that we are Mm -hmm. living in every day. And especially if we want to talk about, okay, it is almost 250 years since this day that we're dealing with. Right. But we are, that is in the grand scheme of the global political structure and history, not much. Mm -hmm. And we are still dealing with how to make this work to this day. And so John Mm -hmm. Hancock says, you know, as they're all getting ready to sign. Very well, gentlemen. We are about to brave the storm in a skiff made of paper. How it shall end, God only knows. And we don't, we, we don't know. We still don't know. Right. We're, we're still in it. We are still we, we are in, still in it. a skiff made of paper. It is very much it made of paper. It has not ended yet. <laughs> and no. so, and I love, I just really have always liked that line. And I, and I, I'll double check after, but I'm pretty sure that there, that he said some version of that um, mm. when he signed along with his little jab at fat George. There you go. Yeah. That was why I think, you know, that's kind of why it was hard to pick a best line because, because when we've mentioned it multiple times, like they pieced together a lot of things that really were said either in this context or out of it. And so when you take something that is highly philosophical or literary or meaningful thing to these people it's going to be poignant it's going to be impactful yeah. it's going to be deep and they took all of these things and put it in the same place so it is kind of like all of this is really good and all of this yeah. has like meaning and meat to it and significance so it really is hard to just pick one yeah absolutely i think that is a 
great note to end on. The we're still in it. We're still in the we're skiff. Still in the skiff, made of paper. Um, this is a little different uh, tone for us than we normally <laughs> examine on these podcasts. But if you like what you heard today, please subscribe on uh, to Best Line, Worst Line on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Most places you get podcasts, right, Jess? Google. Google. That's where Google. I listen to mine because I'm a weird Google person. I'm a weird oh, Android see, and I'm person. a... Yeah, I normally listen on uh, Stitcher is my preferred streaming app of choice. But we are on all of those, so subscribe, rate, and review us if you want to. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love that. Tell your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram at bestline worstline and head to our website, Same. which is I think bestline worstline dot com. Anything else? I just want to like plug hardcore. This movie is fun and funny <laughs> what we don't did get to it, it don't get not. intimidated no don't get intimidated if by the you... two hour and 45 yeah. minute timestamp. <laughs> it is it is a very enjoyable movie very fun if you and like musicals can be looked at from a lens if you today. like musicals and you have not seen this if you like you know just some good old-fashioned patriotic something to watch on the 4th of July or the 4th of July weekend or whatever. Like this is a great movie. I highly recommend it. We got deep. We got political. We got philosophical. Like, yes, these things are present in the movie, but it's not the whole movie. Most of the movie is really, really fun. Very typical musical theater fodder. Please go watch it. It is great. I always hear people saying I've never seen it. Um, And then anyone who has seen it loves it it's fun it's fun william daniels um most of the people of our generation would know him as mr feeney the president of Mm -hmm. john adams high school uh, on boy meets world correct he plays john adams incredible absolutely incredible performance great fun so that's where i just want to clarify because we've uh, we've done this a few times where we've taken a movie that is actually really funny and focused on like the meat only and not taken enough time to say like actually this is a really witty yeah and we did say it but like we didn't focus on that but it is fun yeah. fun go have fun happy Fourth of yes. July it's probably on it's probably on AMC today somewhere if you have cable yes. If not, you're not going to find it on streaming. I'm sorry. I mean, like, you can buy it, but it's not free. You can rent it. You can rent it on yeah. Amazon. Buy it or rent it. But it's it. worth it. It is worth totally the watch. Totally worth it. I think that we're going to kick off sometime soon here a Nora Ephron tournament. Which I still don't know the rules of, but it's going to be because either. I love Nora Ephron. I think what it's going to entail is a lot of audience feedback and interaction so be ready so so get yourself up to date on some Nora Ephron movies uh, because I think that we will be asking doing some polling from all of you friendly listener people have a great day everybody thanks for listening time